From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Well, thanks for inviting me into your home. Your long-haul truck, taxi, RV, camper, that greasy spoon. Just off the interstate and your cabin in the woods and off the grid. A special hello to all of you catching the podcast on TalkZone.com. And, of course, all of you listening in on one of our affiliates from Anchorage to Albuquerque and all points in between, however and wherever you're listening, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Now, I almost forgot to mention The Conspiracy Show app. Uh, which is also a free download. And uh, I want to get Albert, my story producer, the shy and mysterious Albert Vinzel. Albert, why don't you um, uh, just give people a very brief tour of the Conspiracy Show app. And uh, there's been a number of recent, I guess, upgrades or updates to it. Uh, Albert, tell us about that. Okay, sure. Our hardworking app developer, Sharon Forster, uh, gave some enhancements to it. The, the biggest new feature is a book club. So, like, each guest is linked to their book, and now you can rate the book and also add a book review and uh, uh, communicate with the other fans. Also, it's it's open that you can add your own poll, add your own photos, and we host everything for free. So, if the 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 ones that seem most popular, so it's like the TI show, like if they're afraid to host it on their name, then we could put it up on the app anonymous and. It's, everything's working great. All right. Thank you for that, Albert. Just a very brief tour of the uh, the Conspiracy Show app. Uh, and, and if you haven't uh, checked it out, please do so. Again, uh, if you haven't checked it, uh, if you have not checked it out yet, I mean, uh, please, uh, please do so. Again, a free download. All right. Uh, our paranormal investigator, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, standing by for her regular uh, monthly visit, and uh, we're going to be talking about black mirrors. Uh, and we'll also do our regular paranormal news roundup. Please visit the website, strangeplanet.ca. From there, you can navigate to the radio page. Click on The Conspiracy Show, and uh, that's really your portal to this radio program. So poke around and explore. If you're not a member, click on the blue member button and register. It's fast, easy, free. And becoming a member uh, gains you access to member-only areas like the book club, past show audio archives, and more. And if you go back to the landing page, strangeplanet.ca, there's also a TV section and a live events page. And go to the live events page and learn more about my upcoming exclusive event, The Bilderbergs, featuring Daniel Estulin, Sunday, April 17th, at the University of Toronto. And for more information uh, and to order tickets, go to the live events page, strangeplanet.ca, or visit Conspiracy Culture. The bookstore, 1344 Bloor Street West, and uh, you can buy the tickets in store. Uh, you can use the code phrase Prince Bernhardt and receive a 20% discount off the price of your ticket purchase. That's That promotion is for in-store only. Again, the code phrase Prince Bernhardt, and you can receive 20% off the price of your uh, tickets to the Bilderbergs event, but that's only in-store at Conspiracy Culture, 1344 Bloor Street West, you can also, of course, order by phone, 416-916-1696, 416-916-1696, or online at conspiracyculture.com. The Bilderberg, Sunday, April 17th, University of Toronto, featuring Pulitzer Prize nominee Daniel Estulin. Hope to see you there.
Rosemary Ellen Guiley is one of the leading experts on the paranormal with more than, well, I think it's 60 books now, published by major houses on a wide range of paranormal, spiritual, and mystical topics, including nine single-volume encyclopedias. Her work is translated into 15 languages. She's worked full-time in the paranormal since 1983, researching, investigating, writing, and presenting, and teaching. Her present work focuses on interdimensional entity contact experiences of all kinds, technological and mediumistic spirit communications, spiritual growth and development, problem hauntings, and portals or geographic areas of intense paranormal activity. She spends a great deal of her time out in the field conducting investigations and research, and she's done groundbreaking research on shadow people and the jinn. And her website is visionaryliving.com. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, welcome once again to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Hi, Richard. Well, I'm doing pretty well. I'm on the road, as I usually am this time of year. You're in uh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati. I I just finished the Victory of Light Expo. It's a big event every spring, and it seems to get bigger every year. The aisles were just jammed with people this year. And uh, what's what's big on your list right now in terms of uh, investigations? I mean, I just mentioned a whole you know list of things that you're you're researching, whether it's you know a problem hauntings and so forth. But when when people are contacting you. Uh, you know, they want something investigated or researched. What's number one on their list? Uh, I would say it's a problem haunting. Uh, I get contacted when people have phenomena going on in their home that are disturbing to them. And um, uh, sometimes it's really a case that can be explained naturally, um, but quite often there uh, are uh, mysterious things going on that have been going on for a while, and people finally get to the point where they can't take it anymore, and there isn't uh, anything that they seem to be able to do to get rid of it. And so they contact someone like me and say, help, you know, what's going on? I I have things going on in my home. Uh, I'm concerned that it might be negative, like demonic, and what do I do about it? And the thing is that there's really no no instant solution that I can provide people uh, via email and sometimes not even in a phone call because a lot of these cases are very complicated and they do require some time to uh, analyze and see uh, what all's happening. A lot of times it's the people who are involved that are, are part of the problem as well as something paranormal. Uh, we're going to talk about black mirrors uh, a little bit later in the hour, and you're going to stay with us for the full hour, but we're going to do our paranormal news roundup now, and you mentioned problem hauntings, and um, here's definitely a, a problem haunting. This involves what's been described as a ghostly stain in the attic um, of a, um, well, it was called a lunatic asylum. That's not the most politically correct uh, term, but uh, uh, this is in, was in Athens, uh, which is, in, is a town in Ohio. Now, you're in Cincinnati. Is that close to Athens? Um, I would say I'm probably an hour and a half to two hours away from Athens. But, you know, Ohio is a very haunted state, and often, uh, Athens in particular, there's a lot that seems to go on there. Uh, and this is a very interesting case that has some parallels in other kinds of cases as well. So we had um, this in this particular case, we have a uh, a, a patient uh, of this asylum, a Margaret Schilling, and this was—I mean, this place was open for quite a while. It was—it it opened in 1874, but she was uh, there in uh, the late 1970s, I think. 
And she was a middle-aged woman, uh, as is the case in a lot of these asylums. People are uh, not treated well. They suffer from neglect. They have a lot of mental conditions that uh, just in themselves uh, are basis for interaction with something paranormal. And uh, many of these uh, old asylums have a lot of residual activity that um, continues to this day their favorites of paranormal investigators. And so Margaret was, uh, she, she was a deaf mute, was she not? Uh, yes, and um, she had a tendency to wander. And this asylum seemed to have a policy that they would allow certain people to kind of go off on their own, that they didn't seem to keep track of people too well. And for reasons that are really not clear to this day, uh, because it doesn't sound like she was the kind of person who should have been allowed out of anyone's sight for very long, uh, she was allowed to wander around on her own, and um, she might not show up for a while, and she went missing, and uh, then she was found dead. And she wasn't discovered for quite some time, I guess. That's right, uh, which is another very peculiar thing, that um, why there was such a gap in time between her going missing and her being found. But that is the story. And I guess what she she wandered into this um, uh, what do they call it? Uh, it's an unused an attic. They call it the bat wing, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, sort of a appropriate term, I suppose. But it's a uh, and, and this was during one of the coldest winters on record, I, I guess. So she likely died from exposure up there, I'm guessing. And the doors what locked behind her? Well, that's the story. She liked to go to the attic, and uh, that's where she was found. Um, and the thing is that. Uh, in a lot of these cases, there are so many questions you think, well, why didn't somebody check the attic if she liked to go to the attic and this seemed to be known? And she went missing. Why didn't someone go and look in the attic? Uh, a lot of times what happens with these stories is legends build up around them. And it, it often gets hard to separate the real facts of the story from uh, embellished stories that are told later. But um, still, there she was, um, you know, gone missing, and then she was found dead. And now uh, there's this mysterious stain in the attic where her body had been found. And, uh, well, I mean, that would stand to reason, I suppose, if a body's decomposing. And she was, she was, it was like six weeks uh, until she was discovered by a maintenance worker. And there she was in the, in the, in the middle of the floor. And apparently that, that same area had been searched twice before. And they somehow they missed her? Well, that's the claim that's made. And... Uh, I have a question in my own mind that that might have been part of the embellishment of the story to make it seem a little more paranormal that her body wasn't there and uh, in, in searching and then suddenly it was there later and now there's this mysterious stain on the floor which has lasted to this day and it contributes to the haunting phenomena that go on in this place. But there's been a lot of controversy over this stain, which supposedly is in the shape of, of where her body was on the floor. You know, you see the TV shows where the detectives chalk out somebody's outline when they find a, a corpse, uh, and it's almost like that, although it's solid and it looks kind of white and soapy. Um, but um, um, someone came, came along with a claim later and said that uh, the story about her is, is real, but they questioned the authenticity of the stain, and they said that at some point the floor had been treated with some sort of acid wash, and their speculation was that um, the acid wash was applied to the floor deliberately in the shape of a body to sort of add mystery to it. 
Well, it gets hard to, as I mentioned earlier, uh, separate the fact from the fiction sometimes in these stories. Absolutely. Listen, and Rosemary, we're going to head into a break here. We'll finish up on okay. that and continue with our Paranormal News Roundup. Rosemary Ellen Guiley right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Do not go away. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is here, our resident paranormal researcher, investigator. We're doing our paranormal news roundup, and then a little later in the uh, hour, we'll talk about black mirrors. We were just talking about the the mystery of the ghostly stain in the attic of this uh, mental institution uh, in Athens, Ohio, not far from where Rosemary is tonight in Cincinnati. And um, uh, this uh, Margaret Schilling, a, a, a long-term patient there, uh, disappeared, wandered around. She was prone to wandering, found... Um, in an attic uh, where, well, she um, it was six weeks after she disappeared, she was discovered, and uh, they removed the body, and of course there was a stain there um, because the body had started to decompose on the cement floor, and that stain uh, remains, and um, it, it looks like a rather ghostly image. However, um, it, it, it would stand to reason if you have... Uh, a stain there, and then Rosemary, as you pointed out, they're using these very strong uh, mixture of chemicals, cleaning uh, uh, chemicals, probably much stronger than they use today. We're all about green products now, but uh, uh, these products, uh, these chemicals mixed with human tissue and soap, uh, I guess somehow they managed to etch their way into the uh, the attic floor, which was concrete. So it makes sense from a scientific point of view, doesn't it? Well, it does. They certainly would try to clean uh, where her body had been found. Uh, and so uh, what makes the, the story uh, about the stain uh, apparently paranormal is that nothing ever gets the stain out. It can never be erased. It never goes away. And uh, there's a similar story from a jail in the, the town of Jim Thorpe in Pennsylvania where uh, some uh, men who were involved in the union struggles during the 19th century uh, were hanged for uh, for crimes for an alleged murder, and uh, the feeling is that they were wrongfully accused. But tensions were very high, and one of them put his hand on the wall uh, and said he was going to leave his mark as a, a protest. That's the story uh, for his wrongful death, and so his hand imprint has never been able to be erased from the wall. And there's been a lot of dispute about that as well. But the thing is, these places are legitimately haunted. There's real phenomena that go on there, and that's uh, very typical of both uh, old prisons and places that are, are asylums, like this place was where Margaret Schilling died. Uh, there were horrible abuses of people, and, and people were in unhappy states of mind. And all of these things contribute to a lot of residual haunting. So um, it makes for a very good story, and uh, whether or not the stain itself is paranormal doesn't detract from what goes on there. It kind of adds to the mystique of the place. It's uh, been a favorite, especially with young people. Uh, there are lots of other stories about the uh, asylum and, and the stuff that goes on there. Uh, Margaret Schilling just really stands out as a poor soul, a very tragic figure who somehow managed to lose her life and uh, she's left her mark, literally, physically, in that place. Uh, from Athens, Ohio, to Guadalupe, Mexico. 
And uh, this one, as the story uh, says in Mysterious Universe, sounds like the kind of thing one would read about in the pages of a tale from horror maestro H.P. Lovecraft, uh, except for one key issue. This particular story has its roots not in the world of fiction, but in the domain of fact. Tell us about the flying fiend of Guadalupe. This is a fairly recent story. It, you know, dates to 2004. And uh, there's a report that a Mexican police officer said he was suddenly attacked uh, in the middle of the night. Everything is always in the middle of the night at about 3 p.m. by this huge flying uh, creature that he described as hag-like. And it just leapt out of him uh, from a tree uh, along the side of the road uh, as he was um, uh, driving by in his routine patrol. And uh, it was absolutely hideous. It looked like um, a monstrous sort of woman, all dressed in black. And uh, she kind of floated above the ground, and she had these solid black eyes and um, um, had these wings that she could fly, and she flew at him like she was going to attack him. And so he put his car in reverse and slammed his foot down on the accelerator and uh, tried to get out of there. And... Uh, he claimed that this creature actually clung to the windshield. This sounds like a real horror movie here. And um, then uh, he, he slammed into a wall trying to get away and um, closed his eyes because he thought something horrible was going to happen. And, um, you know, suddenly this thing is gone. Uh, this is a, uh, a kind of motif that other people describe. Uh, I've come across it time and time again, uh, usually people out in remote areas at night that might be on foot or in a vehicle. Suddenly something horrific comes at them, uh, attempts to attack them. They think it's all over. They're going to be hurt, maybe even killed, and then boom, it's gone. Well, there are similar descriptions of things like this, and I was very reminded of black-eyed kids and black-eyed adults, uh, humanoid flying uh, monsters like Mothman, um, many reports of these throughout the ages, and she certainly had that, those kinds of characteristics. Right. Well, this uh, officer, Semenyego, uh, this is a police officer, and he, he was so frightened by this, he reportedly fainted at the, from fear, slumped over his steering wheel, and then he awakes to find paramedics there. And no, no monster. And what happened when he told his, when he reported this to his colleagues? Uh, well, um, they actually said that um, he discovered, to his astonishment, that other people had had similar experiences there. He was expecting to be laughed at. And uh, this is another characteristic that I find in these encounters as well, is that when people do come forward uh, and tell their story, uh, they discover uh, to their shock and to their horror, literally, that other people have had the uh, same thing or similar things happen at the same place. And it's almost like the victims uh, almost want to be disproved uh, so they can tell themselves, well, it was all something weird, it was my imagination, it wasn't real. Then they find out that other people have had those experiences, and so it becomes even more terrifying. There was a, there was a Texas-based uh, cryptozoologist, I don't know if you, you, you've uh, met him or deal with him at all, Ken Gerhard. Uh, who went down there, and this is five years after this incident took place, so I guess this is now 2009, he went and he interviewed this officer. And this is still so raw and emotional for this guy. When when Gerhard was uh, interviewing him, the tears welled up in his eyes, and he, he broke down five years later. I mean, th- that that to me just rings 
a true. This the, the, this story is credible. It certainly does, and I know Ken. He is a fine cryptozoologist, and he's done a lot of outstanding research. Uh, yes, when someone has been truly traumatized, um, just recalling that experience will evoke the same intense emotions uh, over again. So there are these places or portal areas uh, where um, beings from other dimensions, whatever they are, and uh, sometimes we really don't know what they are, they seem to be able to come through into our reality. And um, this kind of terrifying attack uh, has been reported in many places all over the world. This Now, this is an interesting story. Um, someone went and they did a search on a, a, a database for uh, native Missouri mammals, uh, and they found something they didn't expect. Two, two somethings, actually. Among the listings for the American bison, the badger, and the long-tailed weasel, uh, and again, these are... Um, I guess, endangered species in the state. But they found two other listings, the Chupacabra and Bigfoot. Now, remember, this is a a state uh, website for Missouri mammals, the Chupacabra and Bigfoot, an official government database. What's Chupacabra and Bigfoot doing on an official government database, Rosemary? I know. I just thought that was so strange. Uh, because uh, the the government officials usually deny that these sorts of things exist. And uh, chupacabra is a, kind of a vampiric creature that uh, sucks the blood out of things, um, especially other animals. And, of course, Bigfoot, uh, we have many reports of uh, Sasquatches. Um, but um, there, uh, it seems that the government have, has cataloged these descriptions and... Um, uh, I, I don't know why they're in a state database. Uh, it's just very peculiar. I mean, either someone there maybe thinks that they're they're being uh, cute and funny or, or sarcastic, or uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it's interesting because they actually they name the uh, they give the Bigfoot uh, entry um, different names. They call it Momo, Swamp Ape, Homo Cryptus. Um, and, and Momo is a Sasquatch-type creature that's supposedly uh, specific to Missouri. Yet here they are, listed on a government um, conservation website. It is—it's very interesting. It's—it's it's somewhat reminiscent of um, there was a, a an ABC News report uh, several years ago about a chapter in FEMA's Fire Officer's Guide to Disaster Control Manual, and it detailed what to do in the case of an attack by space aliens. Well, and that's another peculiar thing, too. But, you know, I do think that government agencies think of these things. And uh, at some point when people report, uh, for example, like the appearances of, of the Sasquatch in these certain areas um, over and over again, uh, you would think that, um, well, maybe government agencies do pay attention and they do alert their employees to be prepared in the event of what if something like this is real or what if they have to do with people who are panicked by something that they think is real? And sometimes I think that's the case as well. Or, you know, government officials are, are very fond of sort of covering all possible, uh, you know, scenarios. And maybe, God forfend, someone is attacked by a chubacabra in Missouri. They can say, well, we had it on our website, so we're not, uh, you know, we're not liable for damages. <laughs> right, exactly. I've got to ask you about this, and time is tight here, but this is a, this is a very macabre story. Uh, something called ghost marriages involving corpse brides. 
brides. And uh, this is a phenomenon that's on the rise in China. What are ghost marriages, Rosemary? Well, there's this belief in China that uh, it's, uh, it's not good for a single man to be unaccompanied into the afterlife. And so families who have relatives, uh, male relatives who have died without being married, for example, um, they find, um, this is really creepy, they find a dead female to bury with him to go into the afterlife to be his companion. And um, they literally will acquire corpses of, uh, of women to, uh, to be buried. And there's a huge business for this with female corpses going for large amounts of money, um, $10,000, $15,000, grave robbing uh, for these bodies to be uh, buried along with their relatives so that he has a ghost companion into the afterlife. And it just reminds me a lot of the, the grave robbing for other reasons that were done in earlier centuries for a lot of medical purposes. You know, when the doctors hired grave robbers to go and, and get corpses for their, um, their medical purposes. But this is a very strange cultural belief. And even stranger that it's still practiced today. You would think that something like this would have died out. Uh, a century or, or more ago and not still be done today, but it's done, um, you know, it's, it's an underground business. <laughs> Literally. Literally. Yes. So how do, I mean, do they at least try to match the, uh, the corpses based on age or does it matter? I mean, uh, if they find an, an older, I can't believe I'm actually saying this, but I mean, if they find a, a, a you know, the, the, uh, the corpse bride and, and she's, Far younger than the uh, the groom uh, corpse. I mean, is he robbing the cradle and the grave at the same time? I don't know. <laughs> well, that's one way of putting it. Um, and um, uh, the best thing to do, uh, what they look for is this gets really macabre: a fresh corpse. You know, a woman who has um, recently died and has not been buried for a long time. And what this does is. Uh, this prevents this, the ghost of the man from haunting his family. That's what they're really trying to prevent. Oh, I see. And okay. so the corpses are stolen. Um, people have hired uh, literally grave guards uh, to protect the graves of especially young women um, from being uh, ravaged and the bodies stolen. And do they do they take the corpse bride out of the the, the casket and place it in the, the coffin of, the, of the, the, the groom corpse, or how does that work? Do we know? Um, I'm not really certain on that, whether uh, she's just buried alongside him. I, I think that's the case, that as long as she's, like, next to him, then she's uh, his companion. Uh, and... Um, and it, I, I don't think they, like, open up his coffin and, and put the two of them together. All right. Okay. Um, and is this mainly in rural areas, or is it in, in uh, urban areas as well? How widespread is it? Uh, that also I don't really know. I would think that it's uh, more the case in uh, more of the remote areas. Uh, I don't think you'd find it uh, so much in the cities. But here again, a lot of these superstitions and um, very strong beliefs about the afterlife of the dead and what the dead are capable of doing to the living, uh, they have been uh, strong throughout 
centuries in certain countries. And so there could be pockets in urban areas where people do believe that and these practices do take place. All right. Well, Rosemary, when we come back... Uh, we're going to dial it back a couple of years to a um, one of the nearly 60 books you've written, The Art of Black Mirror Scrying. And uh, we'll talk about black mirrors when we return. The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't touch that dial. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Well, it is that time of the month when we are joined by our resident paranormal investigator, researcher, author of nearly 60 books, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. And uh, we just finished off with our uh, paranormal news roundup, and we're going to head on into new territory now. This goes back uh, to uh, 2014 in a book uh, Rosemary wrote called The Art of Black Mirror Scrying. And let me just uh, uh, crib here. From the introduction, if I might, every day we look into mirrors to check our appearance and see how others see us. Some of us know that mirrors have another, more mysterious nature. They have a long history of being able to penetrate the veil between worlds and see into the land of the dead and the realms of spirits. In fact, any reflective or shiny surface, metal, crystal, stone, a bowl of water, a still pond, has the same potential to pierce the veil... Instead of seeing our own face or things in the world around us, we can see the dead, the astral plane, and the afterlife. The power of mirrors to call forth the dead and spirits gives it high status as a necromantic tool. Necromancy is the summoning of the dead for the purpose of prophecy, that is, the revelation of things that are hidden. The ancient Greeks developed various ways of bringing forth the dead, including the use of mirror-like surfaces in special chambers or places called the necumentorian or places of necromancy, Latinized today as necromantium. Another term that's been popularized is psychomantium, a term coined by Dr. Raymond Moody, one of the pioneers in near-death experiences or NDE research to describe a meeting place with the spirits. Rosemary, have you spent any time in uh, one of Dr. Moody's psychomantiums? I did. I had a fabulous experience some years ago uh, with Dr. Moody. When I started exploring black mirrors in earnest, I had been interested in them for quite some time, just in um, conjunction with my study of occultism. And uh, I had uh, the opportunity to meet Dr. Moody when he was doing a lot of his uh, psychomantium work. And I went down to Alabama to his home and went through his entire process. Now, um, Dr. Moody uh, kind of rediscovered uh, dark, shiny surfaces as uh, a way for grieving people to have final closure. And uh, so he constructed his psychomantium for that purpose. It was primarily for contact with the dead. And this was, uh, it, it was a therapeutic process where uh, he spent part of the day with me. Uh, I wanted to t contact my father, and uh, he's, uh, we talked about my relationship with my dad and uh, the good and the bad points of it and uh, what I wanted to accomplish in having a contact with him. And then I spent time by myself in uh, his black mirror chamber, which was a walk-in closet that he had converted for this purpose. It had a huge mirror in it that stretched almost from floor to ceiling. 
and uh, there was nothing in it but the mirror and uh, a wingback chair with a, a very dim light behind it that cast kind of a glow into the room. And uh, I was left there by myself to have this journey into the mirror. And then uh, we spent time afterwards uh, debriefing, processing what I had experienced. It was emotionally quite powerful. And uh, Dr. Moody described in his book Reunions the experiences of others uh, having contact uh, via the mirror. And I knew that this was a tool that I wanted to work with in that way and in other ways. It's, it's, it is very powerful. It will open up the psychic faculty in many people for a lot of things, not just contact with the dead, but uh, uh, coming into contact with spirits like angels or spirit guides. Um, I've had uh, people even contact aliens in the mirror, look into the past and the future, explore their past lives. Uh, it really is an opening into the spirit realm and the astral plane. Uh, what is a black mirror exactly? It's not, is it just a regular silver mirror painted black? Well, no, because um, a silvered mirror is glass that's coated on the back side with a silvered process so that it gives that uh, reflective surface, whereas a black mirror is coated on the back totally in black. And the most common thing to use is paint. And uh, so when my husband Joe and I make mirrors, and we make a lot of mirrors that we sell uh, and for the purposes of our workshops, uh, we use... different kinds of paint. We've experimented with latex and acrylic and enamel, but something that adheres to the surface of the glass with several coats so that it's dense enough that you can't really see through it. And it so it makes a, a shiny a surface that uh, is still reflective, but very dimly so. You can see yourself kind of as a ghostly image in it. But when you use the mirror, you really don't want to see yourself. You want to position the mirror so that it's blank and featureless, almost like a, a bottomless pool of black. And that's what I tell people. It's, it has, it's an opening that's infinite. And when you, when you go into the black mirror uh, with your gaze, uh, by looking into it, you are sinking into its depth to call forth things from, uh, from the astral plane. Okay, and so there you are in Alabama at Dr. Eamon Moody's place. You go into his um, his makeshift psychomantium, which is a walk-in closet. There's you're sitting in a wingback chair before this ceiling-to-floor black mirror, and what happens? What do you see? Uh, well, it's very common to see things like uh, initially, uh, like the mirror surface seems to move, and you might see flashing lights, uh, streaks of light. Um, lights that move around on the surface or the appearance of clouds that come and go. And what most people hope to see are images, um, uh, the familiar images of the dead. And that does happen for a lot of people, that they actually see it in the mirror. And uh, for a lot of people, myself included, uh, what I get is I get a lot of psychic information on the mental plane, that the mirror seems to act as a stimulator for images to appear in the mind and you start going through a reverie where you connect with someone uh, you might hear their voice in your head uh, flashes of um, scenes from their lives and your life uh, with them uh, start uh, coming before you one of the most impressive things that I uh, occurred for me in the mirror uh, 
on that day in my uh, quest for my father was the appearance of what seemed to me to be a light being. That is, it wasn't like a photographic image of my father, but something that, um, you know, in asking Dad to appear uh, before me, it was more like um, what I would think um, an etherealized being would be. And I wondered if I was seeing my father in, in some sort of a new body, a new form. Because I think that when we pass into the afterlife, we go through stages and we do acquire a different kind of, uh, of body. It was a very powerful experience for me. I'll bet. I'll bet. Uh, well, perhaps you can give us some details on how we might construct our own psychomantiums for those inclined. We'll do that when we come back. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, my guest. Her website, visionaryliving.com. And the book, if you're interested in following up on this conversation, is called The Art of Black Mirror Scrying. We'll discuss further right here on this very program. Stay with us. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Welcome back, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, VisionaryLiving.com. The book is The Art of Black Mirror Scrying. And before we, we uh, discuss, you know, how maybe we can set up our own... Uh, now, which term do you prefer? Do you prefer psycho... Um, uh, the Raymond Moody term for the word, psychomantium, or do you prefer necromantium? I actually prefer necromantium because it's... Um, it's a little closer to what uh, the Greeks would have done in ancient times, place of the dead. Um, r- when Raymond Moody coined the term psychomantium, uh, I-, I think it's a, a gentler term for uh, what-, what he saw as a psychological therapeutic process. And uh, that means place of spirit. And um, the-, the Greeks would have called it literally a place of the dead. Uh, and uh, necromantium sounds a little scary to some people, so um, I've used both both interchangeably. But I, I think ne- necromantium really captures the power of the process. All right. So just continuing on with your personal experience in in search of your late father, uh, you, you received some sort of mental images, and, and in your mind's ear, maybe you got messages from your father. Is that the idea? I mean, what what what? How close did you get to c- contacting your dad? Uh, I think that I really did have contact with my dad, and uh, he had been gone some time. He died in 1983, and uh, this was in the late 1990s uh, uh, when I did, or mid 1990s, excuse me, when I did this process. Um, time really doesn't matter in terms of the elapse, but I do think that if, uh, from our linear time perspective, people do. Uh, progress into different states in the afterlife, and I I think that Dad was in uh, another state of being, another state of consciousness, where um, how I could perceive him was not in uh, some ghostly form of a physical body, but in uh, a different state of energy, and and that that's why um, I saw him as this uh, this light form, this light body. And uh, I thought, uh, you know, meditated on this. I uh, had um, a post-experience in which uh, I felt that I was told that I had seen um, the energy form of a soul. And I do believe that I had contact with my dad. I felt a lot closer to him after this experience. And um, it was very comforting to me. 
Now, some people have experiences where the dead will appear like they looked when they were living. And um, I think we get what we need. Uh, I had no idea what to expect. And uh, some people have um, very few visual impressions from the mirror, but they have a lot of emotional impressions or they have mental impressions that um, might include inner voices like carrying on a conversation with someone who has passed on. Or sometimes they simply get a knowing that uh, comes into them uh, and they might experience closure that way. Well, one of the interesting uh, things uh, I learned from your book um, the Art of Black Mirror Scrying, is that that uh, this, sitting down in front of the black mirror, uh, whatever happens, happens, and then you go away. But that, that's only the beginning, because uh, this experience of sitting in front of this black mirror and gazing into it uh, may uh, spawn a, a bunch of different uh, scenarios, like uh, increased lucid dreaming, increase in intuition, um, synchronicities, you know, meaningful coincidences and these sorts of things. Did that happen to you? It did, and I do consider this to be one, uh, the black mirror, to be one of the most powerful uh, psychic development tools that um, you don't necessarily have to want to contact the dead by using a black mirror. You can use it to open up your psychic faculty, and uh, by using it, uh, you will have an increase in all of those things. And that's certainly been the case with me. And I found uh, in working with people, because I do these workshops now all over the country, uh, and I get feedback from a lot of people, uh, their initial experience and then their post-experiences. And people will often tell me that they, they've had meaningful dreams later or they've even had um, a waking visitation or some other sign uh, if they've been attempting to con- contact someone who's passed over. It's not uncommon also to have very little experience the first time, especially if someone isn't used to meditating or doing, um, you know, this kind of uh, visioning kind of work. And people think, well, it didn't work for me. Nothing happened. But uh, it's just a delayed reaction, and they get something later. I truly believe that we get the experience that uh, in the way, the form, and at the time that is most meaningful for us. Uh, so you, you mentioned you, you conduct these workshops, and uh, in the book, a number of uh, people in your workshops, uh, your Black Mirror workshops, have shared their experiences and their testimonials. Can you can you share maybe one uh, of the more profound testimonials from one of your students? Oh, wow, gosh, there are so many of them. Um, I've had um, uh, people... Uh, see faces very clearly. Uh, They feel like they're real, like they're having uh, a real face-to-face encounter. Um, Communication is telepathic, uh, so it it all goes on on the mental plane. And uh, sometimes uh, people uh, seem to be transported to uh, another world, like if they uh, close their eyes for a while, they feel like they're in another world where... Uh, they can actually have physical contact with someone. And uh, I've had people feel touched. Um, it's not uncommon for presences to manifest in the room. Um, that um, Sometimes people will they'll stare in the mirror for a while, and uh, then they close their eyes. It can be very fatiguing to keep staring into this black surface. So people will close their eyes for a while, and sometimes 
that's when they have the most profound sense of uh, someone in the room touching them. Uh, and they feel that it's the person that they've been trying to contact. We've had phenomena manifest in rooms where we've had sounds, um, even that you would ascribe to poltergeist activity like uh, thumps and bangs on the walls. And we've had lights go on and off by themselves. Uh, one of the most dramatic experiences I've had um, since the book came out was um, uh, the sound of Native American drumming. Um, now, I play a, a very gentle, um, continuous ohm sound when people are having their mirror journey. I give them instruction. I take them to the edge of the mirror in a guided meditation, and then people have their journey in the mirror uh, for a period of time. And there's, so there's just this ohm sound in the background, and the lights are very dim. And um, uh, I suddenly heard this sound of drumming coming from inside the room. Now, uh, nobody had a drum. There was nothing going on in other, you know, there was no outside way that this drumming sound could could be accounted for, and I was not the only one who heard it. Um, of course, I didn't say anything until the end of the experience, and uh, everybody in the class had heard this drumming sound. Well, one of the participants volunteered. She was a Native American, and she volunteered that it, probably was related to her experience because uh, she had um, sought to contact a Native American who had been a teacher of hers, a, like a shaman teacher. And um, I, I think that that was phenomena that was, you know, real phenomena that was related to that experience. So we have bleed-throughs that intrude into physical reality. We've had um, uh, spirits appear in the room, the dead appear in, in uh, the room where we're working, um, it's really amazing what happens. Well, this is not entertainment. This is not to be trifled with because if, if this is in fact an opening into like a portal into, uh, uh, you know, another dimension or, or whatever it is, um, I mean, there must be certain rules and protocols to prevent something you don't want coming through from coming through. Well, anytime you open the door to, to spirit, uh, there is a hazard, of course, for a negative experience. And I, I'm very upfront about that. It doesn't matter what tool you use. Uh, I've never had people uh, report to me later or even in, in the immediate um, uh, time after a session that they've had a negative experience. It seems like uh, the biggest hazard for people is not having the, a dramatic experience. You know, they want a dramatic experience, and it wasn't as dramatic as they hoped it would be. Um, but yet it was still very profound. Um, so could you have a bad experience? Um, the uh, the potential for it uh, is there. Uh, people have different boundaries in terms of what's unsettling. And sometimes just the fact that they're having an experience, uh, even though they want it, is unsettling enough. But it is a doorway that you can close. It's an interface. And um, I've had negative uh, personalities come through uh, various kinds of, of tools and interface uh, devices that I've used in the course of uh, spirit contact research and paranormal investigation. And uh, first I uh, tell them to go away, and if they don't go away, then I, I literally shut the door. I close the door mentally and, and energetically. I um, end the session and uh, withdraw my own energy. So I, uh, I discuss all of these things in the beginning of a session, and that if at any time if people feel uncomfortable for whatever reason, 
they can uh, bring themselves back, and then I uh, tell them how to energetically close the doorway. I just have about a minute here, uh, Rosemary, but I know from you know previous discussions with you over the years, when it comes to mirrors, I mean, there are certain do's and don'ts, and in, in, in terms of maybe putting together your own a necromantium there you know there's you have to be careful about where you place a mirror in the home uh, the short of it is uh, don't place it at the foot of your bed at the head of your bed a lot of folklore uh, says that mirrors being natural doorways uh, you're a lot more vulnerable when you sleep so don't put it in your bedroom mirrors should never look into each other as well so you should not place your mirror where it can uh, look into another mirror that might be in your home. That seems to create a very weird energetic space. All right. Well, uh, much more, obviously, contained in The Art of Black Mirror Scrying, and people can uh, get a copy of that uh, through the website, visionaryliving.com. Just go to Rosemary's uh, uh, bookstore, and, uh, well, you can choose one of about 60 books. Uh, you've got to get busier, Rosemary. You're just not writing, you're not churning these out quickly enough. Not doing enough, Richard. <laughs> All right. Uh, always a pleasure, Rosemary. Safe travels, and we will speak to you in a month's time. Thank you, Richard. Good night. Good night. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, VisionaryLiving.com. All right, my thanks to Ian Robertson. Albert Vinzel, John Franz, and all of you for listening at home. Back next week with a brand new program, including, wow, the M6 and Paris crashes. This is a story not to be believed. You've probably never heard about this incredible mystery. You'll learn all about it next week. And, uh, of course, uh, well, there'll be much more. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.